Welcome to episode 244 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I was raised by an avid golfer whose age and best score lately is in the mid 70s. My dad taught me how to golf when I was yay high. I learned all the basics and hit a few rounds in the golf course with him as I got a bit older. Golf faded from my life in my teens. My dad told me that since I'd been taught so young, I would be able to pick it up at any point. Well. It's been over 30 years since I consistently played golf and I recently got the itch to try it out again. It felt like a good hobby to give me an excuse to be outside, especially since our family is moving this summer so I'm not going to be able to grow our garden again. I'm not alone. It seems that the pandemic restrictions have led to a renaissance for the world of golf. Google Maps helped me realize there was a golf course 10 minutes from home, so I booked a session with one of their pros. In the weeks leading up to that first session, I hit a bucket of balls the range a couple of times to warm up and test my dad's theory. I hit some doozies that sliced one way or hooked another or popped high up in the air only to land a few feet away. My immediate thought, hope no one was watching. I also surprised myself by hitting some beautiful shots that went straight and quite the distance. My immediate thought, did anyone see that? This reminded me of entrepreneurship. When I've missed a goal or completely flopped, I hope no one was noticing. When I met my goals or even exceed my wildest imagination, I wonder if anyone is paying attention. Your challenge for this week. If you haven't been sharing your business and life challenges with a community of like-minded entrepreneurs, then you will have a hard time finding a community to celebrate your huge wins. While it may not be good PR to shout from the rooftops when your business plans flop, Never talking about the struggle of owning your own business will lead to feeling very, very isolated. If you have a community already that provides support when you need it and celebrates wildly when you have a win, count yourself among the fortunate few. I know I do. Most entrepreneurs and people in general are so focused on their own journey, they haven't taken notice of what's happening in the lives of those around them. Decide to change that and create space in your life for relationships based on realness instead of only what feels acceptable to post on Facebook. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to let you know that in 2022, next year, I'm running a year-long mastermind for like-minded entrepreneurs who want to grow together through the highs and lows of business and life. Reach out if you'd like to be in the know when those details become available. I'd love to chat and find out what you're looking for in a community. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Also, I casually mentioned I'm moving. It's true. After 20 years in Boston, Massachusetts, our family is moving to the suburbs of Philadelphia this summer. Our biggest reason? To be closer to family, including my dad, also known as Grandpa, so he can inspire another generation of golfers by teaching my kiddos. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest helps ambitious people expand their capacity to handle more growth, wealth, and success. For more than 10 years, she has helped entrepreneurs, corporate executives, Academy Award nominees, and Nobel Prize organization candidates break through boundaries that have been holding them back from their next level. Her signature approach enables clients to reach their highest level of impact. She's addressed thousands of people both on stage as a keynote speaker and as a podcast guest. She's also been featured on CNN, Yahoo News, and the Huffington Post. She's the author of Love Cryptography, a new kind of personal development book for soul leaders that uses daily rituals to reconnect you to your internal wisdom, explore the beauty within you, and remind you of who you really are. Please join me in welcoming Lisa Frabage. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me, Lisa, from your home office in California. As you know, this is a, a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Mm. So the way I define leadership, um, I think that leadership, I think that leadership consists of four things. 
Um, and when you have those four things, then you are able to go out and impact others. Because I think the whole point of leadership is impacting other people. And I define it as a positively, not negatively. <laughs> I don't think impacting people negatively is good leadership. Um, but I think in order to be able to impact others positively, I think we need something called the four pillars of capacity. Because what I teach is capacity, how to expand your capacity as a leader. And those four things are discernment. So discernment is your ability to know what's an ego-based decision versus what is a decision that's really coming from a place of inner wisdom gained from all your years of experience plus your own natural instincts, which make you unique as a leader. Um, the second thing is something I call sovereignty. And sovereignty is basically trusting in your instincts and trusting in your decisions instead of second-guessing your decisions and you know, needing tons of input all the time from the outside. Uh, the third uh, quality that I think makes a leader is something I call equanimity. And equanimity is basically the ability to stay calm, confident, and rooted in, in what you know, despite whatever chaos is going on outside of you. So perfect example of who has equanimity and who doesn't was when we saw the pandemic break out, right? Who, who stayed calm? and pivoted and did what they had to do, who freaked out. And then the fourth one is boundaries. I think boundaries are incredibly important to leadership, but not just boundaries with other people, which is very important for time management and emotional labor management, but also boundaries with yourself. We need to know how to tell our brains to stop spinning. We need to learn how to get control of our emotions so we can be effective leaders. So that is how I define leadership, having discernment, boundaries, equanimity, and sovereignty, which basically means you then have the capacity to be able to impact others positively and deal with the stressors and the pushback and all the things that come with being a leader. Actually, this is one of my favorite reasons for hosting a show like this is I have now asked 250 people <laughs> about leadership. I've never heard someone dive into it in this particular way. And I, it really rings true for me. And I love the focus on self, right? Because like, if, as much as leadership is about followership, it's, it's that if you don't have that calmness within, if you don't have a trust to yourself, if you don't have the ability to, to make your own choices without lots and lots of input, then you're, you're being led. <laughs> you're not leading. And, uh, and I love that you're focusing on capacity um, and the idea of positive impact. I mean, it's so funny. I always find myself, I write the word impact and then I'm like, do I have to put the word positive in front of it? Is that, <laughs> is, this, is this sort of accepted in our circles of entrepreneurs? Like, I want to make an impact. I mean, asterisk positive. So, but yes, um, I absolutely love this. When did you first realize you had some of these skills? Oh, gosh. Honestly, since I was very young, and you know, I don't know how much you know about my background, but I actually grew up in a dictatorship. I grew up in the country of Panama, and I saw horrible examples of leadership all around me. And I was always the kid that would actually jump in and mediate between my parents when there was an argument and say, you shouldn't be talking to that person this way. That's not nice. And so I was always actually jumping into leadership roles within my family. Um, I just had a way of seeing what was true underneath the surface. And sometimes I got in trouble for calling it out because sometimes adults don't like it when you tell the truth. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, from, the, from a very young age, I found myself uh, in leadership positions, whether I wanted to or not. Do you have siblings as well? Yes, I'm the and so I'm the oldest too. So that also gives me natural leadership. I'm the oldest of two other siblings. I have oh, a yeah. younger sister and a younger brother. So yeah. Lots of opportunity. Lots of oh, opportunity yeah. there. Oh uh, yes. And I remember the feeling of feeling responsible. And I think this was something my parents instilled in me is I remember from a very young age feeling like, gosh, my siblings are looking at what I do and I have to be mindful of what I do because I'm setting an example for them. And so I remember feeling that, gosh, for at least from six years old, feeling that way. Wow. They did a good job to instill that at you in such a young age. Did this carry over then to school life as well? Um, you know, we were, were teachers sort of noticing this uh, sort of quality in you and, and like nurturing it and encouraging it. You know, what's interesting. 
it was very different for me. I was always a good student, always got good grades, but I was, I was always very shy. And I, um, actually I excelled and some of my teachers would suspect of me of cheating because of my excelling. And so I actually did not have a positive experience all the time in school because I got accused twice of cheating because I did so well in an exam or writing a paper or something. And so I often remember um, feeling uh, nervous about doing too well, even though I would, I had a great, you know, my, my, my parents were very good about encouraging me to excel if I felt called to, but I had that experience where it, it was an, it was a mixed bag, which I think a lot of people in, in positions of leadership experience where they get pushback for shining. And I certainly experienced that. Um, at the same time though, uh, I was, because I was also very shy, I often felt nervous about the attention I would get because I excelled. Um, so I always had mixed feelings about it because it felt good to excel, but it also felt like, wow, everybody's watching me right now, which is hilarious to me because it's something that I help leaders with now um, in what I call their visibility capacity, their capacity for more visibility. Well, it makes sense that you would have the empathy to recognize for other people that they need to step into that in a bigger way because you had to do that. And you make me remember a moment in third grade when I didn't write out my math, like it was a math you know, exam and I didn't write out all my work because yeah. I could do it in my head. Yeah. And I got basically accused and told that like, I would not get the grade unless I showed the work. And I was like, but I'm smart enough to do this without all the work. And it's funny how that stays with you. Like that's a very clear memory to me. And here I was, you know, eight years old being told that. So I totally get this and not wanting, I mean, I can't relate to this part because I'm, I'm not ever been accused of being shy or an introvert. So I'm, I'm quite the opposite of that. I'm an, I'm a major extrovert, but I'm a shy extrovert. Yeah. My wife's a shy extrovert as well. Yeah. No, totally clear on those being separate scales, but I've not been either. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I get this, like, you, you, you don't want to dumb down your abilities, but other people weren't necessarily appreciating you. At what point yeah. did you grow into your capacity where what you were capable of, others could appreciate? Did that, did, there, was there a moment where all of it sort of caught up to itself and you were no longer feeling like you had to, like, lower yourself to other people's expectations? Because, it, like, I don't know, it was like you were, you were excelling beyond what they were comfortable with? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lifelong process. To be honest with you, um, I can I can say that it probably started in high school when I kind of settled into a group of friends that I felt comfortable with and that felt supportive. Um, but honestly, um, even in my twenties and my thirties, growing when I started my business, um, gosh, twelve years ago, I still felt I still grappled with. Um, noticing that some people would just get so triggered by my success or by I'm, I'm a very opinionated person and I will say those opinions online. And I have still, you know, struggled and learned to expand my capacity to be okay with being polarizing on certain topics. Um, so honestly, I'd say it's not one moment where I felt like, well, now I can feel safe shining. I think it's a lifelong thing where you just, it's kind of like an onion where you just peel away the layers one by one and you become more and more confident. But I definitely noticed a change, I would say about three years into my business. And now that I'm 12 years into my business, my gosh, I have experienced so many wild things and so many uh, people who have been triggered and hate me for no reason. And you just build up, you build up capacity and you build up uh, re like a resistance to it. So it really doesn't affect me anymore um, to have pushback online. I'm kind of used to it. And I realize also that it's really about the other person most of the time. It has nothing to do with me. You know, I've uh, yeah. been talking a bit about this conundrum uh, because in 2020, uh, I had, was primarily speaking for the last decade, coaching and speaking but I had a big plan for March, 2020 to launch a new, a new talk, which you know, did not happen. <laughs> so, um, and I had been sort of best known for uh, teaching people how to network at conferences. That's what I had spent the, the decade plus um, sort of 
working at that expertise, being recognized the expertise. And we aren't at conferences right now. We're on, we're on events, not at events. And so I made a shift and wrote nine ways to network in a pandemic on March 12th, March 13th, hosted my first virtual happy hour, proceeded to host one every Friday since. Uh, that launched multiple rev- new revenue streams. And I built up this six-figure business in eight months. And all along the way, I was sharing the highs and lows of that journey. It was a lot of work. It was not an easy thing. And it was really, really interesting to me how I would say 85% of the people that I was sharing, and these, these are like entrepreneur circles online, you know, communities, were like, that's inspiring. Can you help me? Will you share something? And I'm like, I will share everything I've ever done because, you know, you'll, you'll do it a different way and that's all fine. We're all here to help each other. But there was that small percentage who were like, tut, tut, don't talk about money. Tut, tut, don't, don't tell people. How. I'm like, first of all, six figures should not be impressive to anyone who's actually doing well. <laughs> like the impressive part is how quickly I made that shift. And it's what you said earlier about not getting stuck. Like the people who didn't know how to move forward in the, once the pandemic happened and the people who took action. And then I had to really sit with that. It was about them. So it's such an important reframe. I wanted to repeat that because anyone listening who has seen themselves, I mean, I know a lot of friends who had a more successful 2020 than they could have ever dreamt of. And not just in money. Often it's like they recalibrated their life. They had, they found time, they reinvested in relationships and they found a way to decide that 2020 was going to be better. And there are others who, no matter how successful they were financially, found it to be the most horrible year ever. So I feel like you, you're always trying to teach people that, but now there's just like meta lesson, like there's a bigger version of that. And I imagine more people are flocking to you than ever before to find a way forward because you have a history of helping people. Has that been happening? Have people been like flocking suddenly and there's like a a resurgence? Yes. I mean, our business has always been very successful. I can't complain. Um, But I would say uh, 2020 was actually our best year ever. And we we already had some really good years. But it's because I think that it was very easy to hide capacity issues behind busyness and strategies for a really long time. But then when a crisis hits and you've got to pivot like this, if you don't have the capacity to pivot fast, you are going to struggle. And so I had so many people coming to me, very successful business owners who had suddenly lost half their revenue because they did so many live events. And it wasn't just like the strategic, uh, the strategic way to pivot. It was, I am having intense amounts of stress, just having kids at home while still trying to run this business while experiencing panic about the state of the world. Some of my my clients got got COVID, right? And so they were sick and trying to, and still like the sole breadwinner of their family. Some of them had to completely pivot their branding and their messaging because times have changed. Like people are seeking different types of help. They don't really care about the thing you were talking about before if it's not going to help them with their problem right now. And, uh, you know, it was also having the emotional capacity to deal with that time. And so I feel that it was 2020 was like the great unveiling, like anything that was hiding um, was magnified or amplified. And you were either going to choose to finally face it and move through it and expand your capacity and and do something about it, or you were just going to keep clinging to the old ways and frankly, go down the drain. Well, yeah, there was a lot of people who were still even a year in waiting. Well, let's just wait for this to, oh, we'll get back to, well, it'll happen. And I'm like, oh, you know, all these other people hit the accelerator and you're still got your foot on the brake. It's going to be really hard to break up. That shows you exactly, like we find out what kind of leader we are under pressure. We, we can claim to be the best leader ever when there's no pressure or when there's a normal amount of pressure, but it's when these very high stakes situations happen that we get to find out, are we embodying the kind of leadership that we want to embody? And do we have the capacity to uh, deal with whatever comes our way and not just whatever comes our way? Do we have the capacity to receive the next bigger levels of what we want? Because the bigger level you want to go to, the more capacity you need, because the more pushback you're going to get, the more haters you're going to get, the higher the stakes, the higher the risks. You don't have the capacity to handle the kind of stuff that comes with that. You're, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah. I, all right, I have two questions for you. One is a simple one. How old were you when you came to the States? I was 15. 15. So that's, that's, that's a, what a, oh my God, I can't even imagine like what a major moment in your life for like identity formation and like what an upheaval moment. I'm sure that had a huge impact. And what did you think you were going to be doing? Like, I, I mean, what you're doing today is something you kind of created, right? So did you, did you have a career path that you went on and then you decided to, to go off in this direction? Yeah, I always wanted to be uh, an artist of some kind. And I feel that I'm still an artist. Um, I was very interested in music and acting. And I actually did study. Um, and I also was interested in writing. So uh, in college, my major was in English because I because I focused mainly on writing. And I even thought I would go to graduate school to get a, an, a Master of Fine Arts in writing. And um, I ended up actually then discovering that I was a pretty good actor. And I ended up going to one of the best acting schools in the country to get my Master of Fine Arts in theater. And uh, I also wrote music on the side. And I was an actor for many, many years before I started my business. Um, so I, I, and I remember I signed up for, I thought maybe I should be practical and get a business degree. And I hated it. I hated it. And it just cracks me up that I have this very successful business now. And I'm interviewed by my alma mater about, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, studies. And it just cracks me up because I hated the finance courses and all that stuff. And at the time, it just wasn't fun for me. But I get I get to combine my creativity and all the artistic things that I love to do in with my current business. So I think that's why um, I enjoy it so much. Um, but I certainly never thought that there was a type of job like the one that I have, or that I would even be running my own business. I never thought that. I also knew that I loved Oprah. Like I have loved Oprah since I was who knows how young in my teens, I've loved Oprah. And I was like, it would be great to be able to do something like that, you know? And that's all I, I thought of. I didn't, I don't think coaching was even really a thing back then. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've, I've talked to people who, who were coaching in like 2000, 1998, and it really wasn't like, they were like one of a handful of people. And it was just coming to be like to coaching as a business thing yeah. uh, was still very, very new. So, so yes, yeah, like 20 years or so. Um, you know, the thing about acting that's interesting is I think actors are really good at studying people and oh, yes. what a great like skill set to have in the yeah. business that you have. I mean, I, I've been really fascinated this past year on how um, we have the expertise we're known for. And then we have all these adjacent expertise that we develop, but we don't really even notice. Like we don't think of as like I did. I'm now emceeing and producing virtual events. Mm -hmm. I what? Like <laughs> I just happened that I had the kind of skills and the experience and the interest to do it. But no one would have suggested it to me two years ago that, hey, you know what you should do? Like they wouldn't have looked at my resume and said like, you know, the next step for you, but you know, out of necessity, right? <laughs> Mother of yeah. invention. So for you having that background is really interesting. Plus your own, you know, your own sort of coming into a new country, you have a different way of seeing culture around you. It's like a very strong awareness. At what point did you think, I'm going to do this whole thing on my own? Did you have entrepreneurs in your life? Did you have people who could point your, your nodding no? Like, where did the idea even come from then? I'm so curious. Yeah, not really. I mean, my dad is entrepreneurial, but he is a chemical engineer. So he mostly works as a consultant for, you know, big chemical companies that, you know, make chemicals for paints. And, and he does have his own business as well. So he is a little entrepreneurial, but I never really saw my father as an entrepreneur and I never really knew much about what now I know a lot because we talk business a lot now. But when I was younger, I didn't really have that. And everybody in my family is a doctor or a dentist or a nurse or, and my mom was the teacher. So that's literally all I saw around me. I, again, I remember just following Oprah and thinking that would be a really cool career. I remember finding out that there was something called a life coach when she was talking about Martha Beck being her life coach. And then also what happened to me, the way I came across this field is first I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And I remember reading it and being like, oh my God, this is exactly what I think it should be like. Like it just made so much sense to me when I read the book. 
And then I, I remember I was working at a big, very well-known financial firm at the time because actors don't always get consistent work. So I had a day job and I was kept getting promoted in that day job. Cause I, cause you know, for me, if I'm going to put my mind to it, I'm going to be good at it. And I'll always get promoted wherever I go. Cause I'm, I believe in doing excellent work. And so, uh, even if it's not my passion. <laughs> and so I remember reading this book and going into the corporation I was working in and going, I just read this book. I think we should try, you know, having Fridays work from home. I, I was like, why don't we just do Fridays work from home? And I just remember them looking at me like I had eight heads. Like they just looked at me like I was out of my mind and they didn't understand. Like, and I remember that moment when I had that meeting with them, I realized, wow, I cannot work here because like th th this is not an innovative place. This is not a place of innovation. It's a place of maintaining the status quo. And I am an, you know, how they say you want an A player on your team. I am an A player. I'm constantly innovating. I'm constantly creating. I, I always have big ideas. And I wanted to work in a place that encouraged that and that really recognized and valued their A players. And I was not valued. And then after that meeting, I realized I can't do this anymore. And around that time, I ran into a friend on the street who was also an actor and we, you know, we always talk like, what are you doing for work? You know, cause we're always having gigs in between, <laughs> in between acting gigs. And she said, actually, I was able to quit my day job completely because I started a coaching business and it's great. I'm like making enough money that I can set my own hours and still go to my auditions. And I thought, wait a minute, what? there's this thing I can do. So I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And I enrolled in her coaching school. And I was terrified because at the time I made $50,000 a year. And that was like so much money to me back then. And it, but in New York City, which is where that was happening, that was not a lot of money. And I remember being terrified because I had to invest $8,000 in this coaching program that would certify me and would teach me I just remember being terrified, like, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't work out? I'm going to be $8,000 in debt. And of course, the rest is history. It totally worked out. And I actually was a health coach when I first started, which is totally different than what I do now. But I really believe, you know, what you were saying earlier about the acting skills translating, I really believe that we're always being led to our purpose. And you're 100% you're right. The skills I learned as an actor have been invaluable. I can read a teleprompter. What, like you can put me in front of a teleprompter. I will read that like a pro. You can put me on a stage and ask me to extemporaneously speak on any topic. And I will just ramble for an hour if you let me. Um, I can memorize lines very easily for scripts, for videos. I understand human behavior on a very deep level. I have a master's in theater. I mean, I had to learn how to change my body. I, I do all sorts of cool uh, exercises with my, my clients on the leadership retreats where I get to see like the way they're using their voice, what it's denoting about their confidence, how they're holding their body. I helped a woman at a retreat once who was doing a huge pitch to a bunch. She's a startup founder and she was going in front of these massive investors and in tech. And I helped her like do her, her pitch was great, but her body language and her voice denoted lack of comp. So all those things build, build, build. And even as a health coach, I started hearing my clients were not talking to me about food anymore. Now they were talking to me about leadership challenges. And I gently was led to, and you know, after 12 years of doing something, you've developed your own methods, your own frameworks, your own systems, you've seen the patterns across, I think I counted, I, I've touched uh, working with me over 75,000 people at this point. And, you know, when you work with that many people, you notice patterns and patterns become frameworks. So, yeah. Gosh, I love hearing your journey all laid out like that. I mean, in the way you're talking about it, doesn't it seem inevitable? But as you were in the moment, I'm sure it was just like doing the next thing. And I want to go back to this investment of $8,000 because you and I both know that the people that you're working with, people I'm working with are investing high four, high, you know, low five, sometimes high five figures. And it's like an all in. And that's how you know that they're going to get so much out of it that the people, and I, we all have done it in the beginning of, you know, well, you didn't actually, a lot of us like 
spend a thousand here and fifteen hundred there and like eight hundred here and like you can do that for a lot of years and not complete anything and not get true value out of the experience and feel like you're spending so much money because you are because you don't relatively speaking don't have any but for you to commit like that i mean what do you think prepared you for that because like you said you're making fifty thousand dollars a year you get you meet a friend who says this is working for me go get certified you're like i can do this too but eight thousand dollars out of 50 grand like that is a a huge percentage but did you just have this belief in yourself even though you were doubting yourself the entire time like deep down you're like i i am a person who's an a i'm an a person like i i, I play my a game all the time i commit i will i will succeed or like, how did you not get past that fear? Like you just said it, like, you're like, I can just be $8,000 in debt. Like, what if that had stopped you? There'd be no, like, you know what I mean? Like think of a 75,000 people you wouldn't have helped on their journey if you had let that voice, the internal voice stop you from writing that check or paying that credit card or whatever it was. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, this is a great question because I really do think it's a real struggle. And, and like you said, I have programs that are, you know, low four figures and I have programs that are high five figures. I have a six figure program as well. And people, it, listen, I, I always tell my clients this because this is everything I teach is from personal experience. An investment should change your identity. A good investment should change your identity. And what I mean by that is when you become the person who invests $10,000 in themselves, something changes in you. I remember once I had a, I had a program that was $15,000 and it was a great program. Frankly, the results people were getting, I should have charged more, but at the time it was still a lot of money to the people investing in it. And $15,000 is not, you know, some random change in a drawer. <laughs> so um, I had this client who, didn't see the money in her bank account. I don't have it in my bank account, she said, but I really want to do this. And she said, can you give me 36 hours to come up with the money? I said, of course, go for it. I know you can do it. She came back to me within 24 hours and she had the money and she paid in full. The reason I'm telling you that story is because what she told me after that experience illustrates this whole thing about shifting your identity. She said that the minute she gave herself the ultimatum, that she was gonna do this program and come up with the 15,000, she started thinking outside of the box versus what was just in her bank account. And the kind of person she had to become to do that kind of effort to meet the goal she wanted to meet was not the person who couldn't invest $15,000. So she went to a friend and said, listen, I wanna do this program. Um, can I borrow the money from you? And I will pay you back with interest within this amount of months. Now, that's another important thing. She gave herself the ultimatum that she had to pay her friend back within the certain amount of months. So she's already telling the universe, I plan on succeeding at this. Not pipe dream, I'm going to succeed at this. I'm going to do this because I have decided I'm going to pay this person back within this amount of months. She was in my program for two months and she signed a $65,000 client from that program just two months in. By the time the program was over, she had three $65,000 clients. So she made her investment back and that had nothing. To, sure, she got some, she got support from me, but it was really her decision to become that kind of person who will go and figure out how to come up with $15,000. That comes back to my decision of the 8,000. It was terrifying to me. Like you said, it was a lot of money for me at the time. And I did not have some great belief in myself. I wasn't like... Yeah, I'm amazing. No. But one thing I have always had, I was talking actually to a family member last night who's who's having to take a big leap. And I told her, with great risk comes great reward. Because she had two options in front of her. She had one where she could play it safe and live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of her life. She had one where she could do something radically different and set herself up for life with a very good income. And I told her, with great risk comes great reward. And one thing you have to understand is when you decide that you are going to make it work, when you decide that you are going to be successful, you don't need confidence for that. You just need to make a decision. And that's what I did. I decided for me, it was like, oh no, I have to pay $8,000 back. So I have decided that I will be successful at this. 
And because I I have I have to pay those $8,000 back, there's no out for me. And that's what was successful. And I still do that to this day. I watch what my clients say, and they'll say things like, well, hopefully if it works out, I go, no, 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 no. You decide it's going to work out, and it will work out, period. And that is the most, that's actually something called embodiment capacity, is the ability to have that emotional awareness and the emotional capacity to decide that you are going to be successful versus thinking that your success is dependent upon other people's decisions or what's going on in the world around you. That's why people make tons of money during stock market crashes because they're not playing in the in those rules. They're playing in their own decisions, in their own world, in their own perspective that they're going to succeed. This is so powerful and comes at such a great moment for what people are facing right now. You know, I I can still remember trying to figure out like where would I even find people who could pay that kind of money. You know, that that's like whether it was pay me to speak at ten thousand plus dollars, pay me for coaching at ten thousand, like where would I, and now those people are in my network, and it's not that my network changed dramatically; it's that I started deciding that what I was creating was of greater value and people were attracting in. Like I just sold two private coaching packages, six months and 12 months, the most I've ever charged, but it's not on my website. (laughs) It's not something I advertised. It's that people reached out to me and I had a plan in my head as to what, what would my new fees be if I were to do this again? Like, I think that part of it was a decision I made. And then I would say within a month, two people reached out to me. As soon as I I was working on my new website actually and was like, I need to write new copy for this. The copy exists only on the Google Doc. It doesn't exist for anyone else. But I made a decision and I do think that it's both when you're creating and also when you're ready to say yes to an opportunity. Because even if whatever happened last year, like I never said there's an out, there was just like a way forward. I was going to be successful. So when you decide that, even when the first thing doesn't work out perfectly, you just keep trying things. Like there's not a, this is done. I'm going to skip it. I'm, I'm over it. I, I have to ask you though, a question about people, because so much of what you're talking about is also about relationships. You know, you were, you were on a random street, <laughs> you run into a friend who has this major pivotal conversation with you. Um, and because you had a shared experience of both being actors right? Like there was a certain amount of like, well, if she could do that, I could do Like there's a little bit of trust and belief just basically in that. But like, how did you start to gather the network around you to help you forward? Being part of the coaching program, I imagine was really helpful. That's where you start meeting people who are also striving. Obviously they all paid $8,000. So that's a quality group of people to be in off the bat. Did you, you know, like, did you like find yourself needing to like overcome certain challenges and how did people sort of play into those challenges? This is a great question. I think that your relationships are important. I actually really dislike the phrase self-made because I, that there's no such thing. You like, you are made from a village of people supporting you and there's no such thing as self-made. I will say, though, that actually I did not form too much of a community in my coaching school because I've just had the experience that I can outwork a lot of people and that I am stubborn. Uh, Several of my mentors call me the little terrier that won't let go of the rat. (laughs) And so I'm very stubborn and I'm very like, I will figure this thing out. And I noticed early on that a lot of my classmates just didn't want to put in that level of effort. I think that we have ideas that, you know, being an entrepreneur is this dreamy thing where we're on a laptop on the beach, you know, and, and it, no, it's actually really hard work, especially the first couple of years. And that doesn't mean you have to burn yourself out. No, but it's not a vacation. And so I, I actually purposely did not, one thing I've always been very careful about is curating my relationships and the environments I put myself in. So for example, I've always noticed how people talk about money. And if people start talking about money in a way that I can tell there's a lot of scarcity issues there or that they don't have a positive view of money, I do not spend a lot of time around people who talk that way about money because I want a healthy relationship with money. And so I actually distanced myself from a lot of my classmates in my coaching school because a lot of them talked that way about money or wanted to 
do things for free instead of charging for them. Some of them were independently wealthy, so didn't have to pay their own bills. I had to pay my own bills. I had to make money. So I was never going to go out the gate. You know, some people started like, I'll only charge $50 a month. I was like, what? No. And I remember I was charging $200 a month when I started, which back then was like, oh, wow, you're like super high end. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it wasn't there. But along my journey, I did make some smart investments. And I knew that I needed to be in the right groups of people to both support the kind of capacity that I was trying to build and the mindset that I wanted to stay in. Um, And so I invested in a mastermind. And back then it was $3,000. And that was still a lot of money because it was the first year of my business. But I remember I was like, I will put some on a credit card, I will pick up some extra shifts at my day job, and I will to make it happen. And that mastermind was great because I met my coach in that mastermind introduced me to a lot of people and I made good friends there and everybody was ambitious and had the same level of desire to succeed that I had. And I've always just been like, like I told you, just very mindful of who I'm following, who I'm digesting information from, who I'm masterminding with. I'm very quick to remove myself from a group if I notice that there is a lack of integrity or there are um, sort of small ways of thinking or harmful ways of thinking. All of those, the ways that you curate your environments um, and the way that I teach that is I call that your structural capacity. Like what are the foundations that are holding you up and encouraging you to go to the next level? Um, I've been very mindful of that and it has really paid off. The last thing I want to say is that I've been authentic in my relationship building. You can feel when a person is trying to get something from you and is not connecting with you genuinely. I have always connected on a friend to friend level with people. And people say to me now, like, gosh, I went to a party recently before COVID and I walked in with a friend who has a very successful, like seven figure business. She's well known. And for some reason that day I walked into this room and everybody knew me and I knew everybody. And she was like, gosh, I never realized that you knew so many like high powered people. And I said, but these are my friends, you know, like I'm not trying, I didn't reach out to them to promote something for me. I gradually built these relationships over years and years and years. And just now some of those relationships are turning into, you know, them wanting me me to come speak at their masterminds and introducing me to their audiences. But that's because there's trust behind those relationships. So much gold there. I want to underscore the piece you said around masterminds. Uh, I feel like things really shifted in my business when I went from having um, lots of accountability partners who were not at my level uh, who, who I would say, I didn't get it done. They go, Oh, okay. (laughs) Like not good, not even good as an accountability partner. Um, and I switched to, it was about four years ago. I was like, I need, I need a mastermind. And I went to the national speakers association annual conference with that as my goal. I've been there for many years and I actually found the first couple of people to be in a mastermind with me there. And now several years in, the quality and caliber of the people have just kept kind of increasing their game. And then, you know, my game has gotten bigger. And now I'm around people who were like, you know, earlier when I said like six figures, you know, I hit a hundred thousand dollars and like to them, they're like, awesome. Keep going. <laughs> you know, like that's the kind of people I need to be around. So yeah. I can't say how much I believe in that. And I run masterminds. I'm relaunching masterminds this year because I just so believe in the value of that. And like you said, curating the kind of people you spend time with. But I also love the idea of the authenticity you're talking about, which it always feels weird to talk about authenticity. It feels fake in some weird yeah. way, but it is a sincere thing to say. How do you, like, you, you know, you have your inner circle of people, the people that you see, you know, whether you see them or not, you're tight. Then you have like, your second and third layer out, the people that maybe you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago. You like these people, they like you, but you don't have a reason to like work with them right now. How do you nurture and sustain a connection with the people sort of in those looser connections? Like you said, eventually they they might come to, into your inner circle, and but otherwise they're kind of great colleagues. There are great friends from afar. Is there any kind of habits or practices or philosophies that you you practice? Yeah, I, I like to keep tabs on people. And 
Before I even go there, the simple fact of you showing up consistently, then you're always in their feed. You're always in their radar. You know, like you said to me when we first were talking, uh, I, I your name had come up a couple of places. Well, that's because I'm showing up consistently every single day without fail. I don't care if I'm annoying everybody around me. Like, here I am, here I am. And so just being consistent and devoted to how you show up is a great way to keep yourself in their radar, number one. And you're not doing it to be in their radar. You're doing it because that's what you have to do for your business and your work and your mission. Um, But I do keep tabs on people and I always focus on supporting and um, cheering people on. And so I have several friends who are in my second and third wave sort of circles, as you described. And if I see that they released a book I'll send them a message and say, this is so exciting. Can I repost this to my community? I want more people to, it's just, but, and again, I don't do it because I want some to get something from it. Truly. I just genuinely care about the people I connect with. And so, Hey, I'm really excited about your book. This book looks amazing. I don't do this in the world. We need more of this in my community. Can I promote your book to my community this week? And they're just pleasantly surprised. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, I hadn't even thought to ask you. Thank you so much. And people remember that. They remember this person supported me. Um, So just even little things like that, or uh, for example, publicity contacts that I make. If somebody agrees to publish an article of mine or do a feature on me in Forbes, I send a little thank you note. I, I will send a little gift a little something just to say, like, I really appreciate, you know, you telling my story and your article. Thank you so much. I just think it's like the basics of maintaining connections from a place of genuinely caring and wanting to support. A lot of very busy people have a lot of people asking them for things. Very few people are just without any strings attached offering to support. I love this. One last thing I want to say that this is helpful with speaking. I've received a bunch of speaking inquiries this month. And one thing I've asked everybody is, I didn't just say, yes, I'd love to speak at your event. I just wrote a a gentleman who asked me to speak at his event. And I, I said, yes, I'd love to. Thank you so much for inviting me. And then I said, how can I make this a home run for you? I have additional resources. I've got some workbooks I can provide, like going above and beyond so that they can feel like, wow, this person is an A player and they want to contribute. They're not just here for themselves. This is great. And I, and I hear you said, you said you want to support people and celebrate people. And, um, I've, I've taken on sort of a Disney esque mission of surprise and delight with my relationships. And this is a thing I was doing sort of haphazardly for a really long time. And have, you know, finally realized that the system that works is the one that you use. <laughs> um, and for me, the funny thing is I, I stumbled upon postable.com, uh, which is a free link to create an online address book. And you can send it out to people and they fill it in and you can always send it to them to update later. And having that in place means that when the idea crosses my mind, I take action. Where before, I like recently heard about a colleague's father passing away. And I wrote a note down, but now I actually, within like a half an hour, I go on, I select a card. I already have his address. They mail it for me in a really nice handwriting. Cause I, and I, and I have time to think out the, me- I've typed the message, you know, in my head. I'm like, if I have to write it, I get so like, I have to write the perfect thing. I only have this one yeah. shot. Do I have stamps? Where are the cards? <laughs> you know, there's so many like things that I don't have in place. And I, every time I say I'm going to do it, I don't, but now it's just like, so sometimes it's just like create a system that works for you. And I, it's been so great because like this is the year that I'm like upping my game, mailing little gifts to people, like just taking the action to do it and, and finding the systems that work to make it possible. And, you know, getting more thoughtful about referral gifts and, and you know, making sure that every time I, I this is actually what I thought you were going to say is, how did you hear about me? Because like, somebody said something, you know, like all of my work is inbound. Like, you know, so somebody said something and wow, it's so great. There are certain people who are just out there, you know, saying great things about the work that we're doing and like really, and I'm, I'm vice versa, sending them great things. So I love this. This is, these are really tangible things to do. 
Um, I love what you said in the very beginning about just being visible. Like, you know, yes, you're doing it for your business, but I think you're doing it because you want to add value. Um, so everything you're putting out into the world has value inherently in it. And then people also are learning what you do and what you do has shifted over the years. So you're educating your network. This is, this is all really fun stuff. I have a, I have a closing question for you. So I really hope that we stay in touch because you're like, you're my kind of people. And let's say it's a year from now and we are celebrating all of your success from the year before. I want to know what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? What will we be hosting to? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I actually, I have a program uh, that's a sort of membership mastermind program, and we have been focusing intensely this first quarter on completely redoing the back end so that it's really robust and it, it has lots of nice features. It can hold 250 people. So um, I, that's what I would be toasting and celebrating is that we have 250 people in that program and it's just shifting and helping so many people expand their capacity. I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. That sounds amazing. Uh, thank you for all this, Lisa. How can people find you and follow your work? Yes. So I am Lisa Fabrega across all channels. You can find me at Lisa Fabrega, L-I-S-A-F-A-B-R-E-G-A on Instagram, on Facebook. My website is lisafabrega.com. If you go to my website and you sign up for my email list, you will get an amazing video called Why Everything You're Doing Isn't Working. <laughs> and it asks you three really, really important questions you need to ask yourself to understand what's going on with your capacity that's blocking you being able to go to your next level. Mark, teach people what they need to know in, in the process. That's great. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Lisa, thank you for this conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 244. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode with Lisa, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.onthechmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.